A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Darius Mortazavi, who is the founder of The Column. While Darius's background is in chemical engineering, he shifted his career focus into media and really with The Column, a focus on making chemical process industries easier to understand. To do so, Darius founded The Column, an email newsletter that provides context and commentary on events in the industry at large. It's an endeavor that he hopes will unite different sectors of the industry and foster an online community. So Darius is a chemical engineer. He's got several years of experience in companies, including Lion Delta Cell and P&G. And here, we're here today to talk about the wonderful world of chemical engineering and media and how he's taking on this new approach. Darius, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Glad to have you here. What's your origin story? What got you interested in chemicals and what led you to start the column? Well, it's uh, probably a common story you've heard before. I think uh, there's a good bit of chemical engineers who choose the, the study just because they were proficient in math and chemistry in high school. And my story is not too different, right? My AP chemistry teacher was a chemical engineer. One thing led to another, just not knowing very much. You just kind of end up in these sort of places. But I think. I stuck with it because I like fundamentally was really interested in where stuff is coming from, you know, what stuff is made of, where it ends up, and generally interested in how that goes from just like a lab scale to something that's global, right? To me, it's sort of impressive, like the how everything is made can trace its way back to the chemical industry. And that's one of those things that's hard for people to see. So that kind of makes me like it as well. But that's that's how I got into the major, how I got into writing about it was it's pretty related. It was you know, I was a few years into studying subject, I had taken a lot of classes, had done some, some internships and gotten a feel for what the industry was like, but could not piece it together. And, you know, for all that I was trying to do, you know, I was Googling things. There wasn't much out there. A lot of publications were paid. Pretty tough to get a grip of, of the whole industry. And, and I guess in a sense, I was, you know, trying to make sense of what I'd found myself in the middle of. And that's sort of what sparked like the you know, the creation of the column. There's plenty of other reasons too that are more pragmatic, but that was like the inspiration, I guess. Yeah. And when you started it, were you targeting other students or were you targeting the industry at large? Other students initially, you know, I think in the beginning, a lot of my initial subscribers came from me popping into various AICHE meetings virtually through Zoom because we were at that point, something like seven or eight months into COVID. And so all of the meetings were all on Zoom and no one seemed to mind that I would come at the end of the meeting and, and pitch the newsletter. But as you know, as the years have gone on, I've realized that it actually, even folks that have been working for 10 years face a lot of the same difficulties that you do right out of school. 
there's the, a bit of a silo effect that tends to happen. That's not a, not always the case, but it certainly is a, a common thread amongst chemical engineers. Yeah. What is so? Tell me more about the silo effect. What is it that you see happening? Suppose I'm speaking more about commodity chemicals than anything, but it happens everywhere. There's just this natural trend to for specialization, as well as go out to a plant it, that's in maybe Port Arthur or something like there, and you go into it with the expectation you'll be there for a few years. You know, maybe come back to you know a center like Houston, but a lot of times you end up you know being most valuable uh, on to a plant whenever you've spent a lot of time at that plant, right? That's those people who know the ins and outs, and that tends to create this effect where you know what you're doing extremely well. And, you know, the unit operations you're planted the same at, you know, a plant a thousand miles away, but you're not that familiar with that chemical process. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's, that's what I mean by silo effect. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think I certainly see that also in the business side of the industry, right? So I think on a manufacturing basis, which is a little bit of what you're referring to, whether it be manufacturing, process engineering, R&D, people tend to get specialized because you're right, that's where there's value. And then in the same side, there is this vast array of businesses and products. And from a commercial perspective, some companies and some individuals move across different products and others don't, right? So, you know, with various companies I've been at or various companies I work with, it's like, oh, well, the same people have been the salespeople for those products for the last 20 years. They know everything. Same thing. People know certain products and, and you get pretty narrow. You know, sometimes I think uh, for me doing the podcast, people are like, oh, you know, all of these products. I'm like, no, I don't. I really don't. And, you know, somebody will say, oh, well, everybody understands this. I'm like, hmm, I don't. If you haven't had a chance to work in that space, you don't fully appreciate it. You might appreciate some of the fundamentals, but you don't have the same insights, right? Thousands of companies, thousands of products, thousands of processes. It's hard to know it all. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think um, the expectation is probably not to know it all per se, but definitely early out, it's, it's hard to get a feel for the industry, like the landscape, the taxonomy, just, just how to talk about it with other engineers and people not in the engineering department, you know, as well, right? Outside of manufacturing, there's yeah. a whole different world that uh, that interface is really important. And then there's also the interface with right, the public or other industries too. Yeah. So, I mean, you're pretty early still in your career and not that long ago, you were in university studying to launch. What's been the biggest surprise for you working in the industry versus what you expected based on your studying and your education? Yeah, I mean, I think that in, in, I mean, I spent the first year and a half out of school with Procter & Gamble and I think my expectations were pretty set by then because it was roughly in line with what I saw during internships, not necessarily from like a day-to-day basis, but just from a working inside of an organization and the extent to which there's internal knowledge versus external knowledge. But I think from a, what you learn in school compared to what you do in industry, right? On that comparison, you know, we, we learned very well in school how to make stuff, right? Like the, the you know, theoretical unit operations, how to solve those problems. And we solve problems that are relevant. You know, we, whatever process we're solving, any question on test or in homework, it, it is usually industry relevant, but it's not like we're paying attention to those details. Uh, like, oh, we're just more inclined to solve the problem and get to the next one on an exam. So I think that was kind of a shift that all of a sudden it really mattered, you know, what 
what it is that we're working on uh, and, and understanding like what raw materials you're working with, where they're coming from and where the products you're shipping end up. All that stuff is really important for how you perceive yourself and your work. And that's not really something that was a, a focus of, of any chemical engineer, I don't think, in, in the middle of an exam or in the middle of a homework. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, an example that comes to mind for myself, I was a project engineer at the beginning of my career. And I don't know, like one of the plant process engineers had said, oh, we needed we needed an aperture, uh, you know, drilled to a certain size. It was it was a sizing issue and whatever the number was, you know, one point three, two, seven, three, five, whatever. It was some number. And my boss, you know, kind of the project director, project lead guy that I was working with comes back and is like, you can't accept this. I'm like, I don't understand. He said, we physically can't drill that number. You've got to go back, you know, in the U.S., quarter inches or millimeters, you actually have to then apply not just theory, but back to the practicality of how things are sized. Like, so you can size something and when you size it exactly and precisely, that's awesome, but you can't actually do that because it doesn't exist in real life. So it's that whole blending of theoretical to real life that is necessary, right? And I guess that's part of the, the learning curve um, that we all go through. Definitely. You know, there's the, the industry is probably chock full of, of examples like that one. There's, there's so many stories to tell. I mean, there's, for an industry that's, you know, over a century and a half old, right? And to some extent, right? There's a, yeah. there's a lot to say, a lot of stories, a lot of old, old conventions that are still being done in one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about the column. So you already kind of touched on how you got started. Tell us more about just what it is. What, what's in, I've read it, but you know, maybe other people have it, although I know you've got a great list. Tell us about the column and what people expect from it and how you even get to that. Yeah. So that makes sense. The, the, the column I've struggled to define it exactly because I don't want it to be too rigid, but it's sort of taking shape now. What I think the column is doing a good job of, it's taking traditional sort of industry news, right? We're talking about press releases for the most part. You know, there's a new plant being announced, there's a plant being shut down, there's a merger, there's a joint development agreement, these sort of things. But every single one of these, you know, press releases aren't necessarily important from a news perspective, as in they're not ground shattering, things like that. And so they don't really get coverage, but they're great ways, the great entry points to talk about, to educate, to, to talk about where stuff is coming from, where it goes. And it's a launching pad for some commentary on whether or not this announcement makes sense is, you know, what you should actually find interesting about it or how it connects to previous examples or larger trends. So that's what I'm really trying to do three times a week. Uh, what I do is I, I boil down two different stories covering a broad range of things, whether that's commodity chemicals or specialty chemicals, or I mean, it goes outside of that too, right? I'll talk about cement or I don't know, random stuff. Like, like I try to do all of all of the chemical process industries in a, in a broad sense, because there are interesting things to say about all of them that aren't always related to the actual news event. Um, but that's what it is. It's, it's a way for you to learn about the industry or stay up to date with the industry or both. Uh, that I think you can find value in it across the board. And I think that's partly why it's been able to attract a larger audience and broad age range from right out of school or in school through people that are, you know, closer to retirement. So I think that it's, uh, it fits a lot of those, those uh, people's 
gaps that they're having. Yeah. Any big recent news or ahas or insights that, you know, that you drew that you got some great feedback on in terms of people like, oh yeah, I can see that now. Do people give you feedback? I think that's always an interesting thing. Do you actually receive feedback? I do. I think that's the, the nature of email is feedback, right? You can very quickly hit reply and send me a direct note and I can directly reply to you, which is really cool, I think. But I don't know if there's been something like super significant. People are really into a lot of the startups right now. A lot of what I write about tends to be related to sustainability. And that is a function of my, you know, my own bias or interest in those industries. But also that's that's a lot of what the press releases are containing. And take that for what you will, right? Like that's so much not, focus right now on sustainability, right? That is where it is. Right. Um, and interesting. That's, yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot there. You, you could yeah. go in a billion different directions because it's a, it's a very big topic and, and every single chemical company is approaching it differently with that. However, it fits to their ability to pivot their assets or the message they currently have. It's a, it can be separate, but it's interesting to follow. Yeah, it is interesting. So you're what you're doing now. Now you are a full-time media guy. I'm going to call it that. Writer and researcher and more, both with the column and then also with the diff. This is not a typical path for for engineers. What's the response been? How do you explain that? And what's the response? I explain it well. I think I think whenever I was at a chemical plant for the first time it became pretty clear to me what a career path would probably look like. There was like a bunch of different career paths, but I think the certainty of it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And that's probably a bit of a personality thing. That was interesting, but it was also that I just couldn't stop asking questions about how all of the stuff got here, right? The industry is huge and connected and old. And it was just sort of frustrating to me that whenever I'd ask questions, eventually people wouldn't know. Like people wouldn't know where things were coming from or where they went or why they're the way they are. And I think that just basically has gotten me in this weird curiosity loop where I just can't stop researching and asking the questions. And I think that usually knowledge is is gained in these silos, right? And communicated, everyone says like their piece about the one thing they know really well at uh, conferences or things like that. But we don't really have many people who have dedicated their entire career towards trying to do their best to understand and communicate between all of the groups. Not that those people don't exist. They certainly do, right? We have historians, all these sort of things. And But I, I guess I'm not trying to be a reporter. I'm not just trying to be a media person per se. I'm fundamentally trying to do everything I can in my career to understand everyone's perspective and be able to communicate between all of them. And I think that that is a valuable thing to be doing. And we haven't really had a an opportunity for something like that to be a reasonable career path in which you can, you know, where it, it's incentivizing in, a, in terms of you can build a business model around it. And newsletters are a really interesting way of monetizing content that is not strictly entertaining. So, yeah, I think that that's a, I don't really know where I'm going to go with it or why I, I really diverged super hard from the path, but really enjoying it and so yeah, it's, uh, I, know. I, like it. yeah. I know and in fact i and I've, i read the column um as it comes out and i think you've always bring some interesting insights and i'm like hmm like one how did you figure that out to you know okay that's interesting and it takes a new 
uh, a new take on things. I mean, I think what's interesting about this, Darius, is, you know, we're living and working in the digital age. Some people call it the information age, but we're certainly migrating to being very digital. You and I are both really embracing new media in terms of podcasts, newsletters, changing the way information is shared, stories are told, et cetera. What change do you think this is having or will have on the industry? I think the changes are really hard to predict because we're talking about not just like uh, first or second order effects, right? The the effects we're talking about are third, fourth, fifth plus order effects, right? How does, you know, three people who happen to be familiar with one news item, like talking about it in the lunchroom, how does that impact their entire career? Like what other decisions they make or connections they make to other industries or other people with, with more context? You really can't, it's really hard to predict, but having better transparency and understanding across industries or even within your own, um, it, it has some of those, those are things that are hard to, to put your finger to. Um, and right now, right, we have a bunch of different ways of consuming media, right? You can, you can read long form essays online. You can watch YouTube videos to, you know, TikTok or Twitter, right? There's all these different ways of doing it. And I think the industry needs to figure out where it wants to fit in every single medium. I think that for an individual, right, you probably want a healthy mixed diet of media, right? You want some stuff that's lower latency, that's like higher frequency news, that kind of thing. And you want, you should probably read a book or two. Like you probably should read about the history of DuPont or or something like that. You will learn a lot from doing things like that. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how it'll it'll shape up, but I do think a lot of it is sense making, and that's got to be valuable in some way or another. Yeah. Are you doing much or anything as it ties back to let's say the column with TikTok or Reels or YouTube Shorts or anything at this point? No, not directly. I mean, I, I post things on Instagram, but I think all the memes work differently in different ways, right? So on Instagram, the the medium is best for memes, stuff like that, right? Like posting like an industry update is not, not the right place. It's not, not why people go to Instagram. And when people go to TikTok, you know, I think we'd want to make that about, it'd be cool if that was about, you know, a chemical engineering TikTok. But my opinion is really that that probably won't shape up to anything super significant just because... I don't think that um, you know you can you can use it to learn, but I'm not really sure you can spin it in education, like an educational thing, in a fun, entertaining way. I don't know how how that's going to work. I don't know. I, I, not that I will say this is this is an area that I've actually talked with folks about in terms of. Um, I have teenagers, so they get a lot of their news and opinion from TikTok and probably YouTube. Um, and if traditional companies and traditional injuries such as the chemical industry are not engaging, then whatever stories are being told by less informed individuals and not, and not less informed, how about differently informed, um, are the stories that will survive, right? So, I mean, I see this, I look at Instagram reels, it sucks me in. Um, and every once in a while it'll be something like, Ooh, the five most poisonous, you know, most toxic things that you have in your house, they're all chemical or plastic products, right? I mean, that tends to be what it is. It could be even be your cleaning products, which by the way, we really need, um, in a lot of ways to, it, it allows, it's what allows us to live healthy, long lives. Um, so I kind of feel like there's this opportunity, but nobody's cracked the nut on it yet. 
as you say, to start telling the stories and leveraging um, these other forms of media more broadly? Yeah. No, I think, um, I mean, personally, I think that the opportunity on those platforms, right, they, they lend themselves really well to discoverability, right? So people finding something really interesting or fascinating about it that they didn't know. I think, and I haven't, I guess I haven't really done this yet, but really there's just a broad gap in understanding, you know, what stuff is made of. And just, I mean, telling a story about what a surfboard is made of is something I think the TikTok would like or treat itself well to, right? Like a deep, like a little, in, you know, zooming in on that kind of thing. That would perform well, I think. But in news strictly, I don't know. I think that, um, yeah, I, I basically I think that those sort of platforms are great for um, sort of wrangling everybody right together and funneling people into a place where uh, a medium where it's it's more structured towards um, that it suits itself better towards news or or education. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, kind of getting back onto this storytelling bit. I mean, you're you're in many ways you're. A- a storyteller in the industry, I would call it. Um, you're, you know, taking and translating and creating that connectivity between announcements, uh, big activities that are going on with companies in the industry, how it applies and how it relates. Um, are are there learnings that individual companies should be taking um, from that approach? Is there, you think, is there an opportunity for the companies themselves to do it differently? Do you mean for them to use social media differently or? No, I mean, really just kind of this whole connection of storytelling, like, you know, so, oh, here's interesting. Now this is the, this is the um, inferences that you can make, whether it be about the product or what the impact is, et cetera. This, I guess, is there an opportunity to just change how uh, companies are communicating with their stakeholders? I think so. Um it depends, right? So right, companies balance a lot of things and the, you know, there we have entire public relations and investor relations teams to make sure that that's all communicated properly. Completely. Um, right. And so I think that does add a layer of difficulty, but there's a lot of opportunity for corporations or smaller companies, especially to uh, write blogs specific to their content, I think, or to what they, to their products. I think one thing that a lot of companies uh, get wrong is they try to say like, Hey, we we make polyethylene, and that goes in eighty trillion things. That doesn't like you putting to me. I don't think you know showing like a big chart of every single thing that it goes into is really helpful. What I think is really a lot more interesting is talking about one specific end application, um, like I don't know, like an underwater sea cable, and talking about how your one polymer places one function in this cable. Right? Mm. I don't. I'm not a sea cable expert. But I do know that they, we have polymers in them. And I think that yeah. it's better to start from the perception of something people understand than to start from something obscure and in the middle of the economy. Mm, that's um, a great point. So, yeah, I, mean, I think that that's probably, you know, that th- there's definitely a place for that on blogs. And the general trend is that people are demanding transparency more and more and more. And as our ability to synthesize and look at information is becomes easier with the you know advent of all of these ai things i think um i think our tolerance for uh, you know any opaqueness in the industry will, will continue to, to plummet yeah yeah and what stands out about that for me darius is this whole aspect of personalization right at the end of the day it's about uh people and making them comfortable based on what they know what's around them at the moment so um explaining that you know what your computer keyboard is made out of 
is a lot easier because it's very relatable and tangible and I understand it versus some chemical product um, that I may or may not be able to pronounce or understand um, and kind of using that to bridge the gaps that we have currently. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100, 100 blogs of each one being an individual case going from material to the product you produce going that direction is a lot more impressive than one big article that lists a bunch of ways they go yeah. for sure. Yeah. So we have opportunities, opportunities to grow. Um, Darius, what's next? So you're, so you're running the column. Um, what are you, what's next with the column? What should we be looking for? You know, I'm at a bit of a crossroads. I think that the column, you know, at this point it's grown to be more approaching 10,000 readers. And, um, you know, I think at that point, right, there's, I've been trying to monetize partly from doing paid subscriptions. I would like to move to a model where it is free in entirety to everybody. And uh, that does rely on advertisers. But I think it's a really interesting opportunity for, um, you know, companies to get in front of an engaged audience that's you know, been staying up to date for one, two, three years on the industry. Um, so that's kind of a thing. You'll see, you'll see a little bit more of that. Um, I don't know exactly how it'll uh, pan out over the next few years uh, in the column itself, um, but there's plenty of opportunities, right? There is uh, definitely interested in, in integrating across the media stack, right? So things like uh, getting onto YouTube, TikTok, those sort of things. Um, those are ways I think the column will probably go um, personally, right? Like I'm not uh, the column as a product and what it reports probably be mostly boxed up. Um, for myself, you know, I think I'll continue to try to go deeper and deeper. And probably that means, you know, writing elsewhere in different formats uh, in more depth, right? Because, uh, you know, if, if you if I report on the industry at a high level for the next 20 years, I'm, I'm not really going to uh, accrue enough knowledge to, to really be any sort of to do any sort of, um, I don't know, I want to say leadership or guidance on, on the industry, I think I need to dive really, really deep. And that means doing more than, uh, you know, coverage of the industry means interviews or really, really getting down into, you know, like a month long research project of one chemical process. And I think that's the direction I personally will go. Interesting. All right. We got a lot of opportunities in front of you. Darius, thanks for joining us. If people want to get connected with you or find the column, how do they do so? Well, sure. I mean, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, right? So Darius Mortazavi on LinkedIn. I'm sure my name will be spelled somewhere in the notes. Um, in the column, it's, you know, it's a play on the distillation column. So uh, it's distilled news. If you go to the column.co, you'll be able to sign up to the newsletter there. Um, and that should, that should be enough to find a way to connect with me. That's puts you right on the email list or right in my LinkedIn. So either one's good. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Darius, thanks for joining us today on the chemical show. Um, appreciate having you here. And thanks everyone for listening. We will bring you another new episode next week. Keep listening, keep liking, keep sharing and following. We'll talk soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.